Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. like a little rousting organ music to get your blood running in the morning. And that's a live recording that you just made. A live recording that I made of Bach's Toccata and Fugue in a real organ uh, church here in Riga, Latvia. Not at a campground near you. And of course this is a quintessential that you could get from those uh, 30 foot 5 inch diameter tubes that are part of this organ. And we are at, as I said, the Riga Cathedral, or Dome, and we listened to the concert uh, just a few days ago, and I recorded that live. For your listening pleasure. Roust you out of your seat. Stop your heart. (laughs) You need lots of air for these organs, and this uh, organ has a lot of pipes. Over 6,000, they told us. Over 6,000. So we are here in Riga. Maybe we should start by saying, who the hell are we? Ah, that's right. I'm Ken, the RV navigator. And I'm Martha, the co-pilot. And once again, we find ourselves on the road, but not on our motorhome, because we are enjoying the late fall weather Mm, in Europe. We planned a trip that will take us into Norway and Lapland, so we may be complaining about how cold we are by next month. Unlike last month when we were in the... But we are enjoying um, very comfortable weather here in Latvia, and we are so grateful that we can be here because when we booked this trip, Putin had not yet begun his misadventure in Ukraine, and we wondered whether we would even get to come because we are very near the Russian border and all the action that is going on over there and learning a lot more about our um, forever enemy in the world, I guess. There's a lot to this area that we knew nothing about and we hope we can share a little bit of it with you. And I think Riga and Latvia uh, is one of those places that really wasn't on our horizon. We came here because that's where the tour starts and it's one of those places that we have found to be very interesting and a a place that more tourists should go to. Uh, Of course, they have had a lot of tourists, but they and it's not Americans. It's not on our radar very much. It's very much on the Russian radar, and their primary tourist base has been Russia. So we have uh, kind of, <laughs> now that Russia is no longer allowed, Russians are no longer allowed to come into Latvia. A very Estonia. recent decision. Tourism is way down, so we don't feel like uh, the place is crowded. But it seems very prosperous. What's your impression of Riga? I had no idea uh, what was here. I I would say that unlike a lot of countries that have been conquered by many other countries over the millennia, uh, the Latvians have decided to treasure the culture of the various countries that dominated them, preserve it, and make it part of their own culture. So we have found 
extremely amazing architecture and scenery here in Riga that we have never seen before. We have been big travelers all of our lives and have had the good fortune to see a lot of amazing things, so it's getting harder and harder to amaze us these days, but we had a day yesterday that just knocked my socks off when it came to the architecture of this city. And of course it was destroyed many times over the years by World War II and Crusades and whoever else came tromping through here. Uh, but the Latvians have always decided to rebuild what uh, had been destroyed in the original style. I think the Americans are much and more likely to knock stuff down and start over, but that was not the way. recently, so the buildings, uh, unlike a lot of good repair. buildings that you go to, they're all black and they're kind of uh, shabby looking. These buildings, the, the gold is shining and the buildings are white and it's just spectacular. Are you going to put a few pictures up of it? I, I usually try to, yeah, uh, yeah. at least a couple. Because it's hard. Words are but inadequate to, to describe. We are in the midst of Art Nouveau. Now, I kind of just thought about this as Art Deco. I mean, I don't know why. I don't know anything about <laughs> about uh, architecture, but the Art Nouveau and the Art Deco are extremely different. The closest we have in our country, apparently, to Art Nouveau is the Louis Tiffany style of glass Tiffany? work. That's what she said. And some key elements of, of this kind of architecture is that you want to try to duplicate the, du the beauty of nature and to try to avoid a lot of symmetry and straight lines. Obviously, a building has to be straight or it would fall down. But the facades on the outside of the building are... Um, the building itself is a bright color or maybe a pastel color, and then it is covered with rococo-looking stucco works that Amazing. portrays people, such detail, roses, faces, um, swirls, Symbols of all sorts. Uh, anything you can imagine. It's like a fantasy. And there are over 800 of these Art Nouveau buildings in Riga. We've only seen a few, I'm sure. And they have preserved them, and in between these buildings are wooden two-story farmhouses, which is also amazing because you don't see wooden, old wooden buildings because they always burn down. But once again, uh, the Latvians have rebuilt them every time they were destroyed. And then in the old town part of Riga, there is another style of what I would call more medieval type of old buildings, and that's where the church was, where we heard that wonderful organ concert. Whereas Art Deco, which we see in South uh, Miami, is very straight lines and very simple. So I had, of course, conflated the two and, <laughs> and didn't understand the difference because I'm a, a novice at architecture. architecture. So this is one of those cases that our horizons have been broadened as a result of travel, which is uh, one of the big reasons why we do this. We also have found that Riga is a wonderful walking city. We haven't taken even one taxi. Our hotel is excellently located, and we are able to walk to all of these things. Another thing I always worry about when I'm coming to a country like this is will I be able to talk to oh, people? Yes. And we have learned over the years that the smaller a country is and the more unique its language is, the more likely most people who you would interact with as a tourist have already learned English, and it's not a problem at all. Latvian and Lithuanian are a special language group, kind of isolated from the more Western European languages Americans tend to be more familiar with, but everybody has learned English and, of course, Russian, because for many years Latvia was part of the Soviet Union, and Putin would probably like to have them back. 
So if you'd like to see some pictures of this, I would encourage you to visit our RV Navigator episode 209 website for September 2022, where you'll find a few pictures of some of these, and maybe some links if I get around to doing it, some links to uh, other sites that will show you some of these uh, beautiful buildings and uh, what they what art nouveau is all about so we also of course have been eating and drinking here <laughs> and we kind of tried to recapture a memory we first made in the 80s we came to russia a number of times after the wall fell things were a little more free a little more open and not quite as scary as they are today and we were on a bus tour sponsored by in tourist which is the official russian travel agency at that time every Everything that you did was done with the sponsorship and supervision of Intourist. With and guides we, who were very pedantic. And they had This good, is what you'll do. They had good English. They had very strict scripts and itineraries, and you were never allowed to deviate. Sometimes it got kind of tedious. But anyway, I digress. We were on this bus, and all of a sudden, we came into an ordinary neighborhood, and the guide encouraged us all to get off and sample some kvass. K-V-A-S-S. And this was served to us from a tanker truck. I kind of think of the kind of trucks that may be coming through Puerto Rico these days bringing fresh water water to a neighborhood. But a small, I mean, it it was pulled by a horse, I think. No. Yeah. Not in my memory. Okay. And the tanker truck a had, a, had a hose and had some glasses tied to it, and it, it contained a drink, which was made from fermented rye bread. And the thing that just shocked the hell out of me was that all of us in the bus drank from this handful of cups, sampling this kvass. <laughs> and people, Can you imagine this? People in the neighborhood came and brought their own containers to get some, or else drank from these glasses too. It was one of the most <laughs> sanitary experiences that I've ever had. And I can't imagine why we did it, but we did it. And we were one, it is a drink from the Baltics in Russia. It's not available other places. And when you looked at it in the glass, it's kind of a brown, cloudy, cloudy, uh, with a vague taste like root beer. I don't know. It wasn't wasn't carbonated exactly. Um, And apparently it was started... uh, because they had lots of rye bread left over, and you know that water was unsanitary. <laughs> water was unsanitary. Well, this anyway, water was unsanitary in early times, and so having a little bit of alcohol in the beverage made the drink much more sanitary. So kvass was cheap and easy to make, and it provided a <laughs> a clean liquid to drink. Okay. Because of the fermentation. Because of the fermentation, it has about a half a percent of alcohol. So really, nothing really but enough to apparently sanitize the water. Oh, oh boy. We, we lived through it. <laughs> so we asked our guide here um, if kvass is available. And, believe it or not, we could buy it they in cleaned a up their act. <laughs> like and, a bottle of Coke. Uh, we bought a bottle of Kvass, K-V-A-S-S, as she said, and we tasted it, and it still tastes terrible. <laughs> it's kind of like unsweetened root beer. I don't know exactly. Yeah, it, it doesn't have a head. It. it has a, a very minimal amount of uh, carbonation, and it's brown and kind of cloudy. So you can buy it now, though. Uh, presumably sanitary in a what looks like a beer bottle. Well, we bought it at just kind of a 7-Eleven type of store, so it must be commonly available, and it must be drunk by lots of people because you, why else would it's they have it? It's still there. They've developed a taste for it. It's just an ordinary little store. So, 
Ah, maybe you need to go to your local beverage well, dispensary. people drink kimchi. It kind of made me think about that, because that's ferment, fermented, too. And that's become very popular in our country. But it's horrible. Well, we didn't like the taste of that either. But <laughs> taste is, is personal. And, and that's why we travel. Another thing that I had here that I would not have had at home was um, risotto with smoked eel pieces in it, Ooh. which oh. is another I didn't try that. very commonly eaten seafood in this part of the world. That's the fun of travel in my boat. So we flew for about uh, nine hours to get here uh, through Warsaw. And uh, that was overnight on the plane. And how was your overnight experience? Well, we were lucky enough to be in business class because we had enough frequent flyer points from our credit card. Um, and when we left home, the flight was about a good eight hours. And I thought, oh, I might actually get something approaching a good night's sleep. But by the time the dinner service ended, it was midnight. And at 5 a.m., they woke us up to give us yeah. lunch. I think it was lunch local time. Uh, so the sleep, as always, was in short supply. And you always feel pretty lousy when you first get to a country so far away. And that's uh, jet lag, which is still impacting us at this moment. But I do have to say, this is our fourth trip overseas in 2022, and our experience at the airports, uh, our experience on the planes has been quite positive overall, wouldn't you say? And getting better. Yeah, all the things you heard about during the summer, about cancellations and being late. Um, We didn't have a real generous connection time in Poland, and that worked out fine. So the, and we had to go through passport control there and things, and so the lines weren't that bad. So and the planes have been on time; they've been well. They've and been it wasn't staffed. totally full. It wasn't totally full. So our experience in flying, uh, unlike many of the horror stories that you hear about, has been quite good um, in these four four times we've been overseas. So I don't know. It seems like the pandemic is over, and of course, nobody wears a mask either here and. I think what Biden said is true. The pandemic is over, but COVID even though people around. are still dying, yeah, from we it took every the COVID day. test just before we left. We also got the most recent booster, and so we feel pretty confident that uh, we have gone beyond. We COVID. might get sick, but we won't get really sick. We are ensconced here for a few days in Riga, and then we're going to get on a bus and drive uh, almost a full day to Tallinn. Which in, is Estonia, in Estonia, which is another Baltic country with a different language again. With a strong Russian history. They have been conquered several times. And this area, one of the things that they constantly talk about is how many times they have been conquered by foreign countries. And so you have the the Nazis, you have the Russians, you have other people that... Swedes have, were the Swedes. running these countries, the Lithuanians were running Latvia, so uh, between, the Poles were running Latvia, six so be, countries I think they said all so together. Between now and when we talk to you again, we will have been to uh, Finland, which we go to next, and then we head north... Sami people of Lapland. That's one of the things that really attracted us to this trip because the Sami are an indigenous group of people who herd reindeers. They're kind of Eskimo-like. And the Samis uh, live in Russia, live in Norway, live in Finland, live in Sweden. They don't really respect the borders that Anglos and Western Europeans respect and have their own culture. So we're interested in learning more about that. Uh, and we're also hoping that if we're really lucky, we will get to see the Aurora Borealis, which mm, is still on our, maybe, maybe on not. our list of things to see. 
We should also mention that when we left home in the Chicagoland, the days were obviously getting shorter. Um, when I was Which cooking, one of the problems of fo- when I was cooking fall. dinner, I'd have the lights on already, and we were afraid that when we came here, even further north, that the days A would be even north. shorter. But we are finding that this is not true because we had forgotten that the Earth does not rotate up and down on its axis, but always has a tilt. And right now, the tilt is favoring the northern part of the globe. So it's amazing the that the further north you go, the longer the days are. The longer are. the days are. Even in October. So we have now more than 12 hours of daylight, whereas at home, we're short of a 12 hours of daylight. This is not easy to understand, and I'm not a scientist, but apparently. Apparently, the further north we go, we are going to be seeing more and more daylight, and then all of a sudden, What's the one in the it fall? starts to get the equinox. Yeah. We're past that now already, too? Yeah, we just did it a couple September, weeks ago. right. It's... <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, gang, we're not scientists. <laughs> and we're still jet-lagged. <laughs> what are things called? Who knows? Anyway, the further north we go, the more daylight we're going to have. So this is really good news and unexpected because I'm not very smart. So we had to pack for a different climate coming here, that's for sure. We were in shorts when we were at home, and now we are definitely wearing layers and worried that we don't have enough of them when we really head north. And packing for the cool is a problem because we are doing five internal flights. And in Europe, the standard suitcase allotment is 20 kilos, which is 44 pounds. So that used to be kind of the standard in the United States, but now they've upped it to 43 kilos, which brings it to 50. So we could bring 50 across the Atlantic, but uh, these internal flights we have to, we were expecting to be at 44. So how do you lighten your suitcase, especially when you're wearing when you're, warm, bulky stuff? When you're stuff. wearing warm, bulky things. And one of the things to do is to wear as much stuff as you possibly can. Which was hard to do because it was 85 it was degrees, 85 when, degrees we when we left home. <laughs> Yeah, we would like to hear from you about what you do for this. Um, it's it's hard to pack light <laughs> because I, you have to have all the technology. And I think because we are to. RVers, we are very spoiled by being able to bring many possessions. Uh-huh. Certainly in our motorhome, we bring our whole house, it seems like. And even if you're in a camper van or a small trailer, you can certainly bring a lot more than you could in a suitcase. And we had gotten out of the habit of, of living light. Exactly. A lot of people brag about the fact that they live out of their carry-on. This became very popular when the airlines were losing so many people's luggage. Yes. Uh, but we find it to be impossible oh, to travel quite that light. And, of course, because we are f- foolish people, we have planned a trip that ends in Florida, and we have to uh, gradually be ready to deal with warmer and warmer weather As at the end of this trip. You'll hear more about that later. I forgot to mention that after... After the the Arctic trip, we come down through Norway, and we do some fjords and ending up in Bergen, Norway, uh, probably about this time next month. Yeah. So what do you do getting ready to travel? Uh, one of the things you definitely want to do is to get Sijic. Sijic is a... S-Y-G-I-C. I think we've talked about it We before. have talked about this before, it's but map, it's worth reiterating. a mapping, a routing app that you don't need Wi-Fi from... 
to use because of course we don't use our phones the way we do at home because we don't have the cell service here that we do at home it's very expensive for americans to travel so the good strategy is to download the maps of where you're going to go before you leave home and then you can navigate and look things up with size it no matter where you are and sidekick is free which is very cool uh, you can they have a paid version which is kind of for car navigation but if you're just walking around the the standard sidekick works good and it's very cool that you can download maps for any place in the world so if you're traveling definitely download this app even if you have data it's there are times when you won't have data uh you're in a building or you're on a bus or something that you can't you're in an area that doesn't have cell service so and why waste your cell data on on maps when you can do it for free Another app I always download when we go overseas is a currency converter app. Right now we are very lucky because the dollar is so strong, but you need to be able to figure out quickly and easily what you're spending on that dinner or that souvenir. So that's another good yeah, thing. Yeah, the euro is almost at one to one. As a matter of fact, the dollar is a little bit more valuable. It's it's a surprise. But even so, I'm sure next month we will complain about Scandinavia. <laughs> Us complain. Because it's very expensive there. And then, of course, you want to download all of your entertainment content and all the old podcasts that you haven't had a chance to listen to. We download from Amazon Prime, HBO Max, and Netflix, and you put those all on your computer so that you can watch them as you need to because we found like here at this hotel we get one english, english channel. channel and it's bbc so we have no news from the united states unless we download it on our computers and we also bring books and magazines so um, we're, we're never bored we're yes, easily entertaining we ourselves. bring them digitally on the ipad as you would expect and then you know yesterday i needed a vpn virtual private network because I was doing banking, and I found out that my bank would not let me connect from this area. You couldn't pay the bills. I couldn't pay the bills. So it just popped up on the screen that says we do not allow access from that area. So I spoofed my location by putting myself back in Chicago computer-wise, and I was able to do my banking that way. So if you are traveling extensively, and this is interesting situation. Sometimes you need it and sometimes you don't. And that goes right along with the entertainment because sometimes you need it for that too. You can fake out Netflix and Amazon Prime and the other services by having a VPN, which electronically puts you into a different area of the world. So... And it also provides a lot of security, which is the other bottom For line. banking, especially. If you're on a kind of an iffy Wi-Fi network, this provides encryption between you and your service. And a VPN is something you subscribe Subs to. Well, it's not an app that you it, just download for free. Well, that's what I was just going to mention, is, is that you can get free VPNs. But then your question is, as with Google, what does it cost you to have something for free? So you have a lot of commercials, or they or they your data? or the VPN. Although they're providing you encrypted service uh, uh, from them to you, they still have all of your data on their end, and they could sell that. So we have a uh, VPN that's called iVPN. We subscribe to it. I pay for it, and they guarantee that they have they do not keep any data about us, so that it is entirely secure all the way up and down the line. But there are many VPNs, ExpressVPN. I don't really recommend any other than be sure that you're paying for it. And you'll need it if you go overseas and you need to do banking. Would you ever you need it know. in the U.S.? Like if you were using campground Wi-Fi, would it be helpful? Or 
a lot of people think ah, this is. It would give you more privacy it, and protection, right? It always gives you a privacy and protection. But it slows you down. But it's but there is an overhead. Yeah. Um, sometimes you just plain need it. Uh, I use it when I'm a little bit on sketchy Wi-Fi. How it's do you know it's sketchy? People, I just have a I just have a sense. People are listening I, to you that I'm don't in, know. I'm in the airport. You know, I don't know about that Wi-Fi in the hotels. Most of the time, I don't really worry about it too much because most banking apps are encrypted anyway. So that would be, using a VPN would be double encryption. If you're using a browser, that's a different story. It's harder to encrypt. But with the HTTPS, then you don't, uh, you shouldn't have to worry, but I don't know. A VPN to me is primarily a service to allow me to relocate myself without having to physically move. And then of course, cellular on the road. You've heard us complain about using our cells phones from home because it's very expensive to get data especially which I really treasure because I'm always lost and I want to be able to route myself from place to place and that takes a lot of data so our most recent strategy has been to buy a SIM card to replace the SIM card that's normally in our phone uh, that's local and uh, I think when we were in Italy last we raved about all the data that we got and how quick and easy it was to do so we were looking to do that again here we haven't done it as of yet but we're hearing that the new iPhones won't even allow you to buy a SIM card to insert. So we're starting to think about how to handle that. Now that Apple has introduced the new iPhone, I'm ex- I was very excited because I'm planning on buying this iPhone. I'm, I skipped uh, version 13. And oh, I'm gonna- no. <laughs> It was a tough... Somebody has to do it. I skipped version 13, and I was going to go with version 14, but then I'm watching the Apple event, and they say uh, new Apple iPhone 14 will have no SIM slots. We're going all with eSIMs. And I thought, oh, crap. What am I going to do now when I go overseas? It is good that the Google Fi, which I'm using right now, can be transformed into an eSIM. And, of course, Verizon, no problem there because I use the eSIM there now. But what when I travel overseas? What am I going to do? And so I really was reconsidering uh, whether I should buy an iPhone 14 because then we thought, well, we'll just put it in Martha's iPhone 13. Because I always have the old stuff. (laughs) Not always true. You actually have a newer iPhone than I do. I do. So then I was doing some research, and I found a company that actually sells eSIMs. Whoa. For overseas here at a very reasonable price. Nothing physical. And so I would like to recommend... <laughs> Even though we haven't used it yet I, 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 actually, I actually want to recommend to you, dear listener... Use that, it and tell us about yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> we have a couple of things this month that we can't do ourselves, but this sounds very cool. Have you ever... I'm going to read their kind of description. Have you ever received an extremely high roaming bill after traveling? Have you ever lost a phone service or connection de- desperately seeking free Wi-Fi during a trip abroad? Have you wasted time anxiously looking for a local SIM vendor vendor at the airport? Yes, I have. We've all experienced these things, and that's why we created Aerolo. A-I-R-A-L-O. 
Arlo is the world's first eSIM store that solves the pain of high roaming bills by giving you access to eSIMs, which are digital SIM cards. With eSIMs from Arlo, download and install a digital data pack from a 190 plus countries and regions to be connected anywhere in the world. Am I understanding correctly then that as we would move around, we would download different? eSIM cards? Well, they, when I went to their website to look at it, they had individual country SIMs. And then they have European SIMs. Like an EU SIM? I didn't look at Asia and the other countries, but I assumed that they had SIMs that would be for regions or for individual countries, which is very cool. And I didn't get it here in Latvia because I could only buy a Latvian one and not one that was usable throughout the European region. So when we go to Finland, I'm going to give this a try. So in a week or so, I'm going to be trying out their eSIM. I'm going to take, oh, well, that was the other thing I want to mention is is that the iPhone 14, of course, I was shocked that it didn't have the the SIM tray. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. I can put in two usable ones, the Verizon and the, uh, Google, the Fi. Google Fi, and then what would I do? But I found out that it'll take up to eight eSIMs, so that, that then uh, eases the problem. So now I can download a European eSIM, I think. Are they pay as you go, or do you pay no, for a they month? Were, well, I think you can, re- re- you can re-up reload them, them. Mm-hmm. reload it, but I think that I start off by buying like uh, 50 gigabytes or something for 30 or $40, which is very reasonable, compared to Verizon's 0.5 gigabytes per day for $10. Yeah, I mean, so, so that if you pay $300 for a month, 30 days, so you're going to get 15 gigabytes. No comparison. No comparison. So uh, this is like a tenth of the cost, I hope. We should probably talk about the iPhone 14. Yes, now that you've solved the SIM problem. I've already got my watch. Um, <laughs> so he re- I give him a hard time when he's always buying new technology and spending our money, but he really needed a new watch because your watch just crept out on yeah, you. Yeah, it rebooted three times an hour. <laughs> I don't, I've never had a watch. Well, I haven't had that many, but this watch was almost two years old, and the screen would get funny and would have squiggle displays and would reboot three like times bad an hour. TV reception. Which meant, which meant that... The, <laughs> yeah, it did look like squiggles. And it would uh, use up the battery in no time at all. So uh, I was I was crossing my fingers that I'd be able to get a new watch before, before we left. left. And lo and behold, Apple came through and they delivered my new Apple watch uh, in plenty of time for me to bring it on this trip. So... But I have to say that this new watch, unless you buy the Extreme Edition, which has all those fancy features and double the price, this version is not really much of an upgrade. Martha has the old one. <laughs> of course. And I don't ovulate, so <laughs> that's one of the big new features. One of features. the great new features. <laughs> so I don't really uh, think about having to get a new... Well, I wouldn't have thought about getting a new watch, but my other one just really, you had to. really kind of died. But the big new connectivity feature with uh, the Apple iPhone 14 is the emergency satellite communication. 
apparently Apple has been working with a company uh, for quite a few years about getting, and it's not Starlink, which is a surprise, and this service is really going to be put into operation in November, very soon, where basic location and tracking information is going to be available from your phone by aiming it at the satellite in the sky. Who knows how that's going to work? But you always hear about these people. I remember the the people in uh, in Death Valley National Park, and they were driving. They turned off the road, and they couldn't find. And they, well, and if they had an iPhone, they could have aimed it at the sky and gotten a blue green signal and send out an emergency. Send out an emergency, and it's going to be free for a while. For a while. The new iPhone, of course, has a great new camera, which I'm always excited about getting, and faster processor and many, many new features. <laughs> She's quiet. <laughs> All right. On this trip, we are, the last phase of this trip, we are getting on a cruise ship in Southampton in Great Britain and sailing it back to the United States. We're on Princess this time. Those of you who have stayed with us for many years know that we cruise fairly often, and we think back to how the whole idea of cruising has changed and there used to be many things that were included or a very low price i'm thinking of drinks in particular and that is now how the cruise ships are making their money so they entice you with various packages where they bundle together things that you might want to have or have to pay anyway like tips to the crew entice you entice you to pay up front for a bundle of things and end up probably spending a little more money well yeah the, but getting more things they, used, they nickel and dime you to death but, but that was pretty easy to resist. Yeah, and we, we've we never had a drinks package. We're not so big we, drinkers. And, but that includes, to, we get iced tea, but there are no soda, no coffees, uh, other than coffee with dinner. Which was so, not very good. but Which we kind of miss a little bit. And we've thought about the drinks packages, but they run in the 40 and $50 range a day per person. And we thought, oh, God, that's that's way too much for... I can't w- drink that much, nor would, should I. Well, <laughs> Well, we would want to drink. I mean, even even if drinks are, are let's say, $10 a, a shot, <laughs> literally, that uh, we just you, wouldn't drink that Or that you'd much. like some wine at dinner, maybe. Yeah. But Princess has now three tiers of extras. They have the basic tier, which has nothing, which is the same thing as always, which you're welcome to travel on. Well, you're paying and, a la carte for everything. Paying a la carte. And then they have the medium one, which includes tips to the... Crew, which is fifteen bucks a day per per, and it has a Wi-Fi for a Wi-Fi package. One one connection for each, person. which is in the order of ten bucks a day per person, per device anyway. And then it has a drinks the the basic drinks package, which includes all sodas, water, better coffee, co- coffee that you would like to have, and. Any drinks that are less than $15 a day. Mixed drinks. Not a day. 15 Mixed drinks that are less than $15 each. And wine that's not wine, real yes, high-priced. And, and that package was 50 bucks. And then they have a, an extreme package, <laughs> which includes all drinks, premium in, included, as well as specialty dining. And, an and the un- other things that we've already mentioned. And another, well, of course, and another... A lottery thing that they give out prizes on a daily basis. Oh, I, I don't didn't know. see that. And that's seventy-five bucks a day. Oh. That adds a lot to 
especially your basic cruise, especially when we don't. We're going to be on there for 21 days, multiple, 24 days? 24 days. Uh, multiply that by $75 a day. <laughs> Ouch. But the thing that we were thinking about is the fact that we're going to be on board for a long time um, in, in not only the 24 days, but many of those 24 days we're going to be sailing across the ocean. We're going to be on board all day so that if I would like a, a nice Coke with ice, I can get it. And if I would like a specialty coffee, I can get it. So we're, going to, give, we're going to give the basic medium package, medium package a, a try and see if we, how we like it. We'll let know. you know if we think it's worth it. Gee. Do you think we'll like it? (laughs) When we first started cruising, we were so poor. We would always take an interior cabin. And then the first time we took a balcony, we said, oh, we'll never go back to an interior cabin again. Oh, is this going to happen with this? Yeah, so you get used to those things. It's insidious. But if we're not on board, if we're out touring and there are not many days at sea, then I don't think we'd miss it. It's less tempting. But this, we decided because there are so many days at sea, we're going to give it a try. So I don't know. We try to tr- we try to cruise for a hundred bucks a day per person with a balcony on a repositioning cruise. On a repositioning cruise. That's the well, easiest. Well, on any cruise, and but that's, that's easier. That's something that even these days it's possible. But adding a fifty dollar extra package. That's fifty percent more. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, let's talk a little bit about RV stuff, huh? That would Maybe be a you good want idea. An early Christmas present for your favorite RVer. Buy yourself an air skirt. <laughs> well, no, you want the air skirt inflatable cooler. Oh, okay. Air skirts is actually kind of a nice idea because a lot of times when you park in cold weather, you need to to insulate. Put out your skirt? Literally. You, to keep you need to insulate the underside of your RV. More than and that's hard are. to do. This company sells inflatable skirts that you put around your RV and inflate them to keep cold air from getting into oh, the Oh, I thought interior. we were talking about coolers. We are. Oh. The same company. That's why I said you want to call this the Air Skirts Inflatable Cooler. cooler. What Air Skirts has come out with is an inflatable 58-quart cooler that really has a lot of unique features that serve RVers well. But the most important job a cooler has is to keep the contents cool, of course. The Air Skirts cooler uses an air gap to accomplish this, and air is a surprisingly good insulator. Using the included bicycle pump, mm-hmm. you inflate the sections of the Air Skirts cooler, but the pump is also has a reverse mode to deflate the cooler, too. This is part of its magic of its design. So this is a large cooler that folds down into a small space, and that's big, the big problem with coolers, is, is that when you're not using them in an RV, they They're take up a huge amount way. of space. Yeah. So this one collapses down, and you can then put it away in one of your compartments and use it only when you need to have a, a cooler. And that's, that's kind of a nice idea. And, of course, where will you find the links to air skirts? On the RV Navigator. Web page for episode 209 for September, October, October. of 2022. <laughs> Where are we and when do we get there? Another link that we uh, intend to put up there is about intend. fall RV shows. In the fall, as you kind of come off the road, if you live in North America, you can start dreaming about what, what kind of RV you would like next or buying your first RV. And a good place for a lot of people to begin their shopping is attending an RV show, which is a collection of many RVs of different types and sizes and costs. And you can walk through them and compare them and, and 
get a bit of a feel for what all is out there, how much it's going to cost you. And depending on how the supply of things are going, it seems to be better. Again, you might even want to order an RV if you have something specific that you want to make sure that you get for the next time that you can go camping in the summer. Memorial Day. Yes, and although the Hershey, the largest RV show in the country, is over now, just happened in September, there might be a local show that you'd like to go to near you where you can walk through the RVs and see what might be useful for you. I was just reading a post on Facebook about somebody who bought their RV based on the floor plan and was very disappointed in the running gear and they they didn't like the suspension and they didn't like the engine and several things they didn't like about their rv and i had to say even though they take it out of driving don't just buy your rv based on floor plan it's obviously there's much more to it than that so be careful when you buy and think about all the aspects of rving that you're going to have to go through and that includes hooking it up and just everything which could be it's it's hard to think about all those things but uh, less feasible when you're at an rv show especially well you want it but what i'm saying is don't just buy it at the rv show based on walking through it it and then yes and then deciding later that uh, you don't really like the way it drives we <laughs> here's something else you guys could help us with uh, one of the problems that we have frequently is is that when you sign up for a service it's ongoing in that you sign up for a streaming service and you get the one month free or discounted and then the new the, user special deal yes part of the agreement is is that unless you cancel it will keep charging your your credit card, or maybe even they'll start charging you a higher price because all sorts of that's what like they this. do. Yes, and I have done this. It's hard to pay attention. It's to hard track. to pay attention and remember to cancel things. And then if you don't do that, then they've, they've got, got you on you. the hook for yeah. Well, that's exactly what they want to do. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen. There is a new service, and once again, I just read about this before we left, and I haven't had a chance to try it, but it sounds like a really good idea. Control your costs, your streaming costs, with limited-use credit cards from Privacy.com. Privacy gives you control over who can charge you and how much. Create virtual payment cards for one-time purchases or subscriptions directly from your browser. Set spending limits, pause, unpause, close cards anytime you want. Here's how it works. You create a virtual card directly from your privacy dashboard or browser extension in one click. So that's the first step. You kind of create a one-time Like a new account. Set a spending limit for each transaction. Create for great for a recurring payments or one-time purchases where the cards need to be closed immediately after use. Organize your virtual cards in one easy-to-use wallet. Tag each card for quick sorting and selection. Track your spending in an, in an account summary dashboard. So basically what this allows you to do is to create a unique credit card for every service that you want. And you can say, you can charge me this much, but no, no more. And you can say, after six months, you close the credit card, and therefore the service will no longer be available. What a great idea. What a great idea. The control is back in your hands. Right, and you can set it at the time you create the card so that you don't have to worry about uh, remembering all these things. And, of course, all of these these accounts are right there for you to see, so you can see where the 
uh, accounts stand at any given moment. And you can extend them. You know, if you want to uh, get whatever streaming service it is and you decide you want to keep it, then you just say to the card, uh, continue to pay, and it will. So that's a, a nice option. You know, but one of the problems that we have with, with streaming services, to me, is is that they don't have DVRs. You can't record the programs. With streaming, you shouldn't have to record the programs, but there are times but they're when not I, always there. Yeah. I have a long list of things I plan to watch on Netflix that I think have been erased or are no longer available. Very frustrating. Or if it had been on regular old-style TV, we would have recorded it and it would still be there. Yeah. One of the most common misconceptions I hear from prospective cord cutters is that it, they'll, they won't be able to record their favorite shows after ditching cable TV. And that's one of the big reasons why I keep our DirecTV, and I love our our recording device, and it's with us. Um, I can re- watch it from any place. It's very nice. I'm not sure where this fear comes from, but it's just not true. If you sign up for a live streaming service such as YouTube TV, Hulu Plus, Live TV, or Sling, DVR services included at no cost. Even cable companies don't always offer that. Still, these streaming DVRs aren't exactly the same as what you might have had with cable. So you should be aware of the differences before you cut the cord. The The more more particular particular. you are about how your DVR works, the more of an adjustment streaming TV will be. For instance, you can't record all the programs on one spot. I love having HBO and Cinemax and all the other sources all, all in one list. Anyway... If you are questioning this uh, DVR options and you're looking for kind of a, a combined service, you might want to take a look at this article. And I will have the link, which is extensive, uh, on From our website. TechHive.com. So, last thing to talk about today is... People are, have been asking us since we started this podcast... How much does RVing cost? If you go full-time, is it cheaper than living in your house? And we have always been very evasive because we really don't know. Yeah, we don't do much <laughs> Our philosophy has kind of been we spend the money we have, and if we have more money, we probably do more things. And, of course, we bought our motorhome outright, so we don't count that into the costs. But you should. Oh, yeah. So we actually have two homes that we buy, but once you've bought your RV... To me, uh, once you own it, that it's basically there, and you may as well use it. It does cost us something, but and certainly you're aware of the fact that as the price of fuel has gone up, uh, the cost of travel per mile has gone up. That's pretty much of a no-brainer. But what does it really all add up to? And so you need an accountant to help you figure that out. So and two, <laughs> two retired accountants have toured the U.S. in an RV and have figured out that for them it costs two hundred and nine dollars a night. They bought their RV, and they included that cost. They kept it for two or three years, and they drove uh, how many miles? That doesn't say. Anyway, they drove two thousand eight hundred. No, that's just miles. one trip. Uh-huh. Anyway, they drove it for two years, a 25-foot Class C Tiffin, and they kept a very meticulous track of their costs. And as they say in the end, to tell the truth, I was kind of shocked by the more than $200 per night it ended up costing us. Then I compared that to how much travel would have cost us with Road Scholar or... And one of the other. Anytime you you throw a hotel room into the yeah, mix, yeah, and, it, and it's and, not so bad. And having to eat in a restaurant, you easily surpass. Because we're spending at least three hundred twenty-five dollars a day for the service trip. that we're we're 
the tour we're taking right now. Were it not for COVID-19, we might have volunteered at a national park or a state park with scores of free uh, and scored a free hookup. But theirs was $209 a night. And of course, we will have a link to this on our website also so that you can read it for yourself if you're really interested in, in knowing what it costs and you want to factor in all of those costs. But one of the interesting things is, is that they did not factor in food because they figured... You eat food no matter where you are. Yeah, it's the same basic, and they felt it was the same basic food they'd be having at home, which is one of the big factors that we consider. But if you're on a suitcase trip, you have to eat every meal out, and that's much more expensive. Yeah, well, we've been spending... Especially since COVID. We've been having, not lavish dinners, but it's been 70 bucks. No drinks, no desserts. No drinks, literally no drinks. Well, we did have coffee. We had water. Yeah. yeah, we have water. So they charge you for water. Bottled water, and, water <laughs> and bread and butter. <laughs> oh, what we learn when we travel, huh? Okay, so coming to the end of this month. Yeah, we, we wish we could talk to you more about camping, and we've gotten some comforting emails from some of you that that's okay, that you like hearing about travel wherever it happens to be occurring. Uh, we do expect to be home again by Thanksgiving, but by then I think the, the camping season will be over in our part of the world. Indeed. So, dear listener, we very much appreciate you listening and following us, uh, and we would love to have a nice little uh, review on Apple Podcasts. Oh. But as you know, this podcast is totally free. You can go to our website and there will be no ads. We will not track you and we will not uh, send you any emails because we don't know who you are. But uh, if you'd like to send us an email uh, and talk to us in person, we would love to hear from you. And we can even do that on the road because we use a VPN. Our email thinks we're in Chicago. So with that, we will end it up for the month and say... Happy travels. Happy travels. Stay healthy. Keep in touch. And at some time in the future, we'll see you at a campground near us. Bye for now. Bye.